for me, the battery industry is the key technology for every single country in the world. We covered dozens of topics in the scientific world over our first four seasons of bringing chemistry to life, from wastewater treatments to the chemistry of stars. And today, we kick off our fifth season of the show with a topic so common that you're almost surely surrounded by them right now. Batteries. Dr. Simon Engelke, founder and chair of Battery Associates, is our intrepid guy. And I'm your host, Paolo Brayuca, along for the ride. Thanks for joining us for episode one of our fantastic new seasons of Conversations. We began, as we often do, by asking Simon about his first formative experiences with science. There's probably many stories one could tell, and I think the two key ones for me probably would be one is, as a kid, I actually got a little, um, there was like a toy, like a fuel cell car toy I got from my dad, which I think I was really inspired by and really excited about and tricking with it. And so I was quite lucky to, to have this. It's a fuel cell with hydrogen. With hydrogen, yeah, for kids. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this was a, it was a cool, and I'm, I'm still contacting this company sometimes to make a battery version of this one day. But um, yeah, this was really, really cool and um, definitely got me excited, but already showed me some flaws at the time. But to go into it, but um, you know, it really got me excited. And then another thing in Berlin, where I grew up, we actually had the nine uh, science nights. So you could like um, so open where they opened up lots of research institutes. And as a you know, as a kid, you could go there and look at things. And I never forget the first time they showed me an atom, like with a you know very high resolution microscope and tunnel microscope. I was just really like, wow, okay, this looks really really fascinating. And um, so yeah, I think these are some early memories. And in between, I was able to yeah, continue my career in the battery um, industry and, and do quite a few things in there. So why why chemistry? Any other scientists in the family? Where is where is this interesting coming from? It's just yourself. I think here again, like it's my life is probably in probably many people's lives is very connected with people. And um, I had a really inspiring chemistry teacher in, in high school. Um, who was uh, teacher Paulik, you know, yeah, he was like, I think he really did for a lot of people. And I think he really inspired me from learning, but also really on the chemistry. So I think we had an open day and that's also what drew me to the school. Actually, he showed us, you know, how you can change color of fire, right? And he had like little, little experiments we could do when we looked at the school and I was like, this is the school I want to be in, right? Um, and this was just really, really fascinating. And yeah, he was just a really inspiring person. And, and uh, I mean, he pushed us and he said one day he will be invited to the Nobel Prize by one of his students. Not sure I'm going to help him with that, but um, at least he really got us inspired to push the boundaries in science, and he definitely got me started on this journey. Uh, I know you did your PhD hey, here in Cambridge, right? Can, can you tell me about your research back then? Yeah, I mean, Cambridge, I was spending my time on, you know, quite, you know, I was just looking at old photos, funny enough, today, and um, like really in the lab, hands-on, you know, doing research pretty much almost every day in the lab or so, and, you know, trying to make um, improved battery electrodes, so one of the components of the battery. Um, again, I think that's one thing I definitely think, it's always amazed me, and I think it's just really fun for people when people ask me outside of the research field or outside of chemistry or sciences, right? And they're like, hey, what did you do your PhD in? And I would say in batteries, and they'll be like, this is extremely specific. And I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's like, you know, it's just uh, the top of the iceberg, right? It's like this little... I mean, like you, you go down the rabbit hole, right? And I was looking at this really nitty gritty component in the battery and now look at the porosity, develop like new testing methods. Um, and again, like it's such a massive field for me, like this small thing I did, 
Um, but from the outside, it will just feel like really, really you know, small what you work on. <laughs> so yeah, long story short, I was working on batteries. I was looking at components, how to make them better, but also had a chance to collaborate, which was fantastic at the time as well. There were a lot of people around and it was a very collaborative environment. A lot of, I mean, as you said, battery is a very exciting topic. So a lot of people, a lot of other research groups want to suddenly do something with batteries and I could collaborate with them and test different things they created and just test them in the battery context. So this was really fun. So it feels to me the research on, on batteries is a lot about so the nanostructure, how you assemble and how the various components interact with each other. Uh, and it has, uh, has much to do with, you know, the chemistry of them uh, as it has to do with a sort of nanostructural or microstructural element of, 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 of the, the, the assembled, uh, um, you know, device. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's quite mind blowing how many details and, you know, how much the sort of, uh, uh, the, yeah, the nanostructure, you know, the organization at a nanoscale level can influence the microscopic properties of, of, of the battery. So we'll get, um, we'll get into that. Um, how did you end up and why founding Battery Associates? And what do you guys actually do? Can you describe a bit what the company is? It's been really fascinating, right? So I thought originally, and I think it's always good if you start a business, think about like, what would you like to have or people closely know, right? And I was a just, you know, finished PhD and I thought I would love to get more insights into the real world, right? Like what's happening in the industry, what is actually required there, uh, what are the big trends and outside of my research bubble, maybe a bit more. So like we started this training, Better MBA, which more like more industry focused, more business, getting these other insights. And funny enough, it was really well adopted by industry. So now about 90% or so are from industry, right? And we have people from the big automotive, such as Tesla and Volkswagen taking it, but also battery companies and consultants and suppliers and people in over 40 countries and a lot of the household names. So this has been the training. So that's our battery EDU arm. And we develop other training programs. We need to educate upskill, and that's just a big topic, right? Uh, you mentioned the battery industry is booming. There's a lot of opportunities, but there's not too many people yet in the space. Like, I spend my PhD and stuff, but there's not too many people have done that, right? Like, I mean, I know a lot, I think, but if you then ask friends, they don't know nobody, right? So um, so there, there's a lot of room there. And then the second thing was more Battery Pro, which is more consulting arm, where we then were like, okay, now we have this knowledge, we develop knowledge, we hired great people from industry, you know, and, and from consulting, et cetera. And how can we now bring this knowledge into the organization so needed most urgently right now? And that's kind of more the consulting arm. And then the third thing is our own innovation arm, like Battery Lab. And that's really the idea. We also want to build tools because there is a lot of development and also globally. I really believe there has to be a global battery landscape. And I think we need more tools for them to actually do the research. So that's why we started on the battery testing side to develop like a more simple battery testing device also from a training education perspective, but researcher perspective, and then with you know more time, maybe build something more commercial grade. But for now, it's really the idea of bring this you know tools in a lot of hands, you know, like a lot of people's hands, and build like tools for them. And there's a lot of other tools we have in mind, which can really help people to get hand-on experience without being in a lab. Because that's also the one thing I really noticed was I was super lucky. I was in Cambridge. I was in Berkeley. I had like this state-of-the-art research equipment. I was like in a toy store, right? Like for a researcher, like it was amazing. Like the tools we had were just incredible. And there's also a big appeal, I think, right? To be in these places was just really fascinating. But the majority of people doesn't have this, right? And even great researchers and talent is global. I truly believe that. And how can we provide the knowledge, the access and the tools also in these other regions so they can also contribute in this and be part of it in a more intimate way. 
Is there anything the governments are doing in Europe in general for to support you know a sort of similar mission? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean Europe is big on on this, and I mean you look at just the targets from you know have EVs or like have non-emitting you know vehicles from twenty thirty five, and I mean there's a lot of support. Like this is gives big guidance right from a demand side. And that's the thing, right? Like, and it's exciting. Like, any very popular subject will have a lot of people want to be part of it, and they will say a lot of things to, you know, to be part of it. And so we have seen definitely a lot of announcements, and some of them are more credible, you could say, or work out more than others. Um, and then, of course, we also have seen challenges in a good way. I feel with the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., like a massive, you know, have seen, you know, a lot of many billions and. Statistics. I mean, we have to kind of update them all the time because just the investment in the U.S. since the Inflation Reduction Act has been announced about a year or so. It's been amazing, right? And um, this has been a real challenge because suddenly European companies maybe consider to move to the U.S. because they get better subsidies and support over there. Yeah, and it, it felt like it happened overnight, right? So Europe had such a such an advantage, you know, it's got, got in much, much earlier. But, you know, the U.S. right now seems to be moving a lot faster. I was, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was the Clean Energy Forum that Thermo Fisher Scientific organized um, in, in San Diego. I'm sure you were aware of at least the event happening. Um, and it was fascinating, you know, how much also they, uh, they they think about governance and, you know, policies, you know. And, and uh, it was something that was uh, impactful to me that um, uh, Stan Whittingly said, uh, actually, uh, he said, hey, you know, what, what uh, has been going on in in Asia for for several years now is is basically a a, a, a supply chain, you know, a, a value chain, which is fundamentally based on thirty year old technology, right? Um, and there's a lot, uh, there's been a lot of progress on several elements of the batteries, right? There's a lot better understanding, and we don't necessarily want to copy what has been going on in Asia because it wouldn't make economic sense unless you know the governments are Happy to keep subsidizing this forever, right? To be to be competitive. What is your what is your perspective on on, on this uh, on this statement? This is a really fascinating, right? Because we we talk to a lot of experts around the world for many reasons, right? In, in our work, and I think what's very interesting because we spoke to like you know players of like um to, to experts and um who have been in Europe, right? And then went back to Asia and other around as well. People have been in Asia and went to Europe and. It kind of felt like also it's this classic saying of the grass is more green on the other side because I think here and everyone in Europe would talk about oh China and like it's Asia is all the way you know they're way more innovative and they're way ahead of us and then we would talk to actors there and would say oh but actually they think Europe is more innovative and so it's also like interesting and again I think it's somewhere in between right I think there's just innovative players on each side I think I think there's definitely something about scale up right and I think on the manufacturing I think this has been a big topic. But of course, there's ambition there, right? So I think if you are a European company and you want to build your own production, you do it with the aim that you will bring something new to the table, right? That you will bring in new innovative processes and you have to believe that because otherwise you'll just buy what's on the market, right? You have to believe that you can contribute something special um, and that will be an advantage longer term. I think it's always good for these industries when there is some variety, right? Like it's, it's never good if one of these, which is because again, for me, the battery industry is, a key technology for every single country in the world. And if you look at this from this lens, it would be great to have this a bit more well distributed because I think this is it's more fair, right? So I think for me, it's just about, yeah, how can we um, yeah, get like an industry, you know, not in just one region, but also different regions. That's part of what we also aim, right? Like that we really can 
get this to more regions. I think it's a step-by-step approach. So we started with, um, you know, looking at the main markets, but we also, for example, launched a thousand scholarships, Metro One One scholarships, which we awarded over the past year. And we saw a big uptake now in over 90 countries and about 20 plus African countries. And we have seen low profiles who would usually maybe be less, you know, looked at. And we see there's interest, there's motivation. So I would love, you know, like longer term that all of these regions also have their own industry. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Bringing Chemistry to Life. I still just 30 seconds from your listening for a reminder and for a request. If you work in research in a laboratory, you have probably used alpha.com or acros.com at some point in your career. I just wanted to remind you that you can keep finding the same products and a lot more on thermofisher.com. If you haven't done so already, please give it a try. And I come to the request. If you like this podcast, why don't you share it with a friend or colleague? Let's share the love of science. And now, back to our conversation. It's probably in everybody's economic industry, the uh, economic interest that this industry expands properly, globally, right? And, and uh, you know, it just cannot be taken and isolated in some pockets because so, so much on our, you know, energy management politics depend on, uh, on, on the success of the, and, and, and the sort of adoption of, of, of a proper, proper battery technology. I guess to jump into some of the details of the economics of it um, and the sort of even the geopolitical element of it, um, I think it would be nice to sort of get a bit techie, right? And, and speak a bit, a bit more about uh, uh, what the battery is because, uh, you know, there's so many different parts of batteries, but, you know, these days, you know, the hot topic is the lithium ion, right? Um, that's that's where a lot of the efforts and the focus is, and that's where the, the, the market shows the biggest promises. But, you know, but there's also some innovations at the horizons, you know, and to be able to get there, probably the best way for, for the benefit of the audience would be if you try and describe a battery or maybe going, going more specifically into, into the lithium technology, uh, you know, how, how it is, how it works, what's the chemistry in, inside it. Uh, and then we can try and dissect and take, take things step by step from there, if, you, if you're okay. Sure, no, happy to. And I think, I mean, there's many ways to approach it, but I think if you want to make it very simple, right? If you look at a more classic battery, right? You have three main components, right? You're operating with. So you have two electrodes, one anode, one cathode, right? On each side, which can store, you know, your iron. Here, for example, a lithium-ion battery, you know, your lithium ions, and they can be channeling in between. And what's in between, you have a separate and electrolyte, right? So the idea is that your ions can move in between, but your electrons have to move outside through your circuit, right? And that provides and powers your device, right? And, and, and so these are like the three main components, right? And again, very simplified. Then um, for lithium-ion battery, the ion we're using is lithium. If you look at periodic table, um, you know, see it's a very light uh, an, an ion, right? And very small. So um, it's quite attractive because you can store a lot of them in these different electrodes on each side. But lithium ion has been quite attractive because um, there's a few things, especially if you compare it also to previous technologies like alkaline, et cetera, right? Is, um, we can recharge it. So it's a reversible process. So that's very attractive. So we can, you know, that's why now we don't have to charge over like our laptop. We don't have to luckily take our batteries out all the time. We can recharge it again and use it again. Um, on the other hand, um, what's also quite nice is memory effect. So um, the, the batteries last a long time. So then we have this memory effect. So they can do, let's say, thousands or so charges and discharges. So 
Um, it lasts quite a long time. That's why also for a phone, we can use it for multiple years if we use it every day. What people now do in the research side, right, for batteries, for example, you would look at what are the different materials you're using for these different components of the battery. So here we have the cathode, you know, and then the anode. And for the cathode is the more expensive part usually in the battery. Um, there's a different kind of chemist, battery chemist you could use. So um, LCO, lithium cobalt oxide, is the old one, you could say, has been in the early devices, right, and phones, etc. It's it's quite energy dense, quite nice, but also has some drawbacks. And um, then it has also about a third cobalt, nickel, uh, right? So we have, um, yeah, like, you know, we have a lithium, cobalt, oxide. Um, so like, um, so we have a lot of cobalt, about a third, so in the battery. Um, and then you have NMC, which is more like the NCA. There's some other chemistries we're using. Um, for automotive, for example, nickel, manganese um, oxide, like we have um, cobalt oxide, or we have uh, manganese is there as well um, for our, um, and we can, and aluminum for NCA. And that essentially can do a lot of kind of tweaks there, but essentially what it allows us to do is reduce the cobalt content, but increase the nickel content, which then can also allow us, again, like get higher energy density, but also um, cobalt is expensive, also has a lot of concerns with the supply, for example, from from Kong, Democratic Republic of Congo and, and African country, um, there's about six percent or so comes from there and has some also human rights issues and concerns there. So there's also a drive to reduce that content. So again, LCO more for phones in early days and NMC and CA for cars, and then we have now LFP is ML for lithium, F for iron, and then P for phosphate. Um, and here we're replacing, we're removing again the nickel and the remaining cobalt. So here we don't have any of them anymore. We only have the lithium. Um, so we only have the iron and the phosphate. And what's quite nice here is, again, we can reduce the cost because we don't need the cobalt and the nickel, um, but the energy density, again, is a bit lower. And now one more step, right? If we say now, okay, we replace cobalt because we don't want to use it, we replace nickel. And now you could even say, let's replace lithium. And then you could do sodium ion batteries, right? It's another topic, which actually I did and came in the US at Berkeley when I was researching there. And it felt really far off, felt like a long time away. And um, but I was researching it there, etc. And now it suddenly becomes popular because people say they can actually make it work now. And um, yeah, so that's quite exciting because again, we don't need the lithium, so you can potentially reduce the cost again. Um, the lifetime is not as good right now, but you know there, there's hopes for to improve it. What is the typical sort of direction that the research on a chemical level, I would say, uh, you know, it takes. Yeah, and that's really, again, on the chemistry, I mean, I can maybe do some dopants, et cetera. I think the key topics here have really been on the structuring, right, of the size. So like you essentially, issues LFP, it's not so conductive, right? So it's um, um, so you have to kind of increase that and that you can do this with reducing the particle size, right, and different surface and different structuring. And then another one is carbon coatings as well, like two major approaches there. There's a lot going on, going on, on the anode side of things, right? Um you know, in theory, you could even use lithium metal, right? Um, as 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 it is, but uh, it has its its drawbacks, um, and so you know, people tend to use these you know um, carbon materials, graphite or silica, or, you know, silicon, these sort of things. Um, can you can you can you help ex- explain us uh, uh, what's the logic behind and how, how it works? Yeah. I think there's two main things you can do with your anode. Graphite is working quite well, right? Like it's it works fine. Um, but the two reasons really why you're pushing for new things, and you mentioned silicon lithium, which is more one bucket, and then you have other ones 
like LTO and aluminum oxides, etc., which is more another bucket. And the two buckets would be one is increasing energy density, right? Like having longer, if you're looking at a V, right? Have longer range, one, right? With lithium metal or silicon. And the other side, you have faster charging, right? With LTO and you have it with um, aluminum oxides and others. Um, and that's why, like, from a consumer, you can see why both make sense, right? So some people want a vehicle which just runs longer, so they never have to, don't have to recharge as often, and they can do longer, longer range. And others are, like, more from an approach to say, I don't need as big of a battery, but I can just charge it in five minutes and 10 minutes, and I'm fine. It's also fascinating because if you work on a new technology like this, you also keep competing against the proving of the status quo. What I mean with that is people keep tweaking the graphites and the cathodes and and get there better as well with additives and all these kind of fun bits, right? So so if you bring in a new chemistry and then you have another one which is maybe lower than you today, but they're going to keep improving. Maybe it's not 20 whatever percent a year, probably not, but maybe it's like 3% or 5% or whatever, right? But they keep doing it every year. And you maybe bring 20% improvement or whatever, but then they kind of creep up on you and maybe you have to stay on top. So I think that's also really exciting. Um, there's still a lot of room for, for exploration. Yeah. What the what is the so degradation of the battery coming from? Is it more related to some sort of uh, chemical side reactions that happen, or is it more of a mechanical problem at a structural level? Um, yeah, it's a bit of a mixture, right? And it's and that makes it also be complex. But yeah, essentially, it's chemistry. You could say, um, you know, you have maybe some side reactions, right, of something in the contamination as well can be an issue. Of course, producers want to reduce that risk, and there's a lot of quality control, but something in there. Um, then also cracking, mechanically you mentioned particle cracking, um, disconnecting from the current collector, something I didn't talk about before, more with the anode and cathode. They're you know, coated usually on a metal foil for better electrical connectivity. Um, and that's, yeah, if they kind of, if you lose your particles and they're not electrically conducted anymore, they cannot, you know, um, they cannot be connected with the electrons. So then they, you lose them essentially as a partaking in your, in your, in your reaction. It's fascinating, and in many ways, you know, the analytics has, uh, uh, you know, room for improvement, right? Uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of tools, but, uh, you know, I know that from the engineering perspective, there's still, uh, you know, need for innovation in, in terms of inline um, quality control, right? And this would lead me to the to the engineering element of, of, of the batteries. You know, you just mentioned it in, in, in passing, you know, basically your electrodes get coated or right uh, on uh, on pieces of metal foils uh, right um, uh, from this perspective is kind of similar to what the electronic industry does uh, you know in some in some ways how that how does it work there's also different ways right and you say like there's the one way um, like how you would do it in your research in, in a glove box and by hand right you would put everything together in a coin cell more like what you know from your watch and then there's like the big throughput, you know, manufacturer on the other end, which just chucks out batteries, is, you know, in, in seconds, right? So so first, as you mentioned, you have your active material on both sides for the anode and the cathode. Um, and you mix, you know, different materials together. Let's say you have your active material, like your LFP, for example, we spoke about. You put some conductive additive to it to make it a bit more conductive, electrically conductive. Then you have um, some binder in there, right, which kind of makes the material stick together, made like a, like a polymer. And then you have some um, some solvent, right, to mix it all up. Um, and you do this on both sides. Again, it's own science what you use there, and a lot of additives, no secret source in this in each production. Um, you take this and then you spread it out 
a bit like you know butter knife or whatever like there's different coating techniques but essentially as we said you coat on the metal foil the current collector um, these are big big machines right who are coating at very high speed so you coat this and then you have a big oven afterwards right you need this to dry it you dry off your solvent to dry the electrode to get it dry um, and that also the, the length of the oven also is determined by the speed you want to run it then you get your coating out of it and then you roll it up and then you have um, your, your current collectors both sides right um, then you need to separate, as you say, like you need, um, like it's also another, um, it's electrically insulating, but like uh, ionic conducting and you, it's like a little foil, like a um, polymer foil, or it's like a, um, you put it in between, um, then you have like this nice sandwich, right? But long story short, essentially you, you make the shape you want, um, you kind of, you know, build your enclosure, you put it into enclosure, either in this round jelly roll more shape, or you do it like in a prismatic or rectangular shape. Um, and then this all happens in the dry room, right? So this happens all in the dry atmosphere. So not because it can't be uh, moist. So you want to avoid all the moisture in the air. And then you have to um, fill in your electrolyte, right? It's a filling step. Then you have a first step, which is the formation step. Then you have some gas development because you're going to have gases developing. But um, the fascinating thing is all what, all what I'm describing right now sounds like a lot of steps. And it is. It's quite a few steps. But if you want to do it at high throughput, this is always automated and robotics and it just runs at crazy speeds. And it always has to run perfectly, right? Because if you have one problem, everything stands still. So it's a really fascinating thing to automate and, and do at high scale. And then to monitor, keep the quality up. Because of course, you don't want to have one wrong cell because that would be bad, right? If, if a terminal runaway happens. I want to touch on one element that we haven't discussed much about yet, uh, which is safety, uh, right? Obviously, we are speaking about... Uh, Small chemical plant there with uh, very reactive chemicals in them. And if you have, you know, tens of kilos of, of reactive materials in your, in your car and it catches fire, it's not, it's not a good experience. Um, what, is, uh, what is currently look at and um, what are the elements of the levers that, that the, the industry is pulling to, uh, to, to improve safety here? Again, there's a lot of different approaches you can take to do that, right? So one is... Um, you know, you can, for example, change your chemistry, right? So you can, for example, um, yeah, like, you know, have different voltage windows essentially operating in and your anode, what you use, for example, can make it more safe. Um, there's different approaches there. Um, then also, you know, you can maybe, um, yeah, chemistry, cathode, sort of mind. There's different things you can optimize on the safety, what you use. Then you can also use separator, for example. You can do some coatings, ceramic coatings, Solid state was seen as a way to really be extra safe. Um, it also can have issues with cracking, but um, so again, having some specific coatings in there in the battery is one approach. Also, governments have requirements on essentially your V has to notify you before something bad happens, right? So there's a few minutes, um, the car only has to alert you before something bad can happen. So there's a lot of sens sensors and understanding and machine learning and predicting going on so even if there is something wrong for whatever reason because there's some variability in life right that's that's an issue and you can't 100 avoid it in anything in life um, but at least then you want to do it the most least harmful the most safe way that if something whatever happens at least you're warned as a user or um, you might have known all days right we had laptops which would blow up and things and these crazy images. This is really gas. What, what, what is it? Is it oxygen coming out from the metal hydrogen, oxide? Hydrogen, mostly. Or hydrogen. Mostly hydrogen, okay. yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's also, we actually just had a lecture on the Battery MBA last week on analysis, gas analysis of these gases which come out and are generated in each process. And another one's also, of course, very important usage behavior. 
right? And how you can use it. You as a consumer start to see there's a lot of optimization in the backend happening and that all is based on us understanding better what the battery can handle, what can it do? And there's a lot of research, of course, going on there as well. It's, this is really interesting because it's the, the combined role of technology and understanding of what's going on, actually, and the role of policy, right? So to ensure that there's at least mitigation put in place. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a symptom of actually quite mature industry. Um, do, you, do you think that you know, with all the considerations that there are around uh, or there have been so far around the battery technology, you know, with, with trying to make the economics work better, uh, you, you know, the environmental considerations, moving away from, uh, you know, materials that are sourced from troubled places in the world, like cobalt, for instance, right, or the environmental concerns around mining and recycling and all the rest. Do, do you think that the batteries of the future in 20, 30 years' time would be based on similar technologies that we have today? Or is there any potential disruptive innovation around the corner on something maybe even unexpected? It's always hard to predict the future, right? And that's, um, <laughs> I think, I mean, there's a lot also, and there's a lot of other technologies we didn't talk about today, like lithium air and others, and, you know, there's interesting approaches. I think they feel quite far out, right? And if even ever, right? So I think also not everything in the lab will become commercial. Or like maybe in a niche, right? Like in a very specific niche, but not in a wide adoption, which is we care about also from a dec like a decarbonization standpoint, right? You need scale. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think for me, I'm right now more concerned about how we scale up what we already have because I just see the urgency there. Um, I think there will be a demand for this as well. Like looking at lithium ion, for example, even if there's now a lot of sodium ion, for example, right? Let's say sodium ion takes a big market share in the future, 2030, who knows? Um, there will still be use case for lithium ion because there will still be a premium segment. But it might be that the more consumer, like the larger scale, who knows, might be solid mine, right? Or sol maybe solid state is a bigger topic. Um, and it's a bit hard to predict at this point really where the direction is going. It could be one way or the other. I still think these kind of things will have their own applications. But yeah, it's also tricky for, for people to invest, right, long term to exactly know what's going to happen. And I think you just have to keep monitoring the market. Um, for me, it's just like if you look at the global scale again, the question is: Will there be some? Will there be some leapfrogging going on? Maybe take from telecommunication, right? Where you go, maybe mobile straight, and you avoid a landline, right? So that's maybe one of the examples. Is there something like this in the battery? Do people, you know, is there countries who are gonna avoid even e-mobility with lithium, but go for sorry, my or something like this, right? So um, this is interesting to be seen. And it's, I think it definitely, I think also LFP and topics like this definitely have humbled me and I think us as well, like to, to I think, to be honest, because it feels so slow and then suddenly moves fast. And I think that's this famous saying, right? People, what is it, over, um, you know, overestimate it's going to happen in 10 years, but under, or like other around, like overestimate what's happening in a year and underestimate what's going to happen in 10 years or five years. So things, if I think if all the different components come together, and they can also be a geographical, like geo, you know, um, topics there as well. Different regions, maybe suddenly, a region has a different approach on energy security, right? Or and that's also a different topic, right? In the U.S., Inflation Reduction Act, the discussion is more about energy security, maybe then in Europe, more about sustainability, right? And there's different angles, and maybe then if you know um, different things change and different importances get reprioritized. Um, but the long, I think, the short answer is. I will keep an open mind what's coming, but at the same time, it shouldn't stop us to scale up what we have. Because even today, we already know the demand. And 
the demand will be there for now. And if it improves in the future, I think nobody's going to complain. There are so many other things we should or could discuss about that. Uh, you know, we can't keep going on forever. It feels like we need another interview. Maybe we'll do another one at some point. But uh, I, I have to go to my usual final question that, that uh, is, is always the, the, the last question of, of, of the interviews for this podcast. And um, um, so the question is, uh, you know, based on your experience, what you have achieved so far, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's just starting in a sort of scientific or technical career? Um, I think for me, it's like if you have any interest to see, I think it's always good to have some interest how whatever you do will impact the real world or what's the real world motivation. I know there's also blue sky research. It's also really fascinating. And I know people, they're very excited about that. But for me, I think I always was really fascinated, like look out there, right? Like how will this impact the real world or the real world applications? And I think I also just want to encourage more also scientists to, if because I know a lot of people start science and then they realize maybe professorship or this direction is not exactly for them. They would look into different areas. I think that's just scientists are needed in so many different places, right? Even today, we just touched a couple of them. We need them in research, but we also need them, you know, in industry. And I think leadership, you know, scientific leaders are also great. I think also in policymaking, having this background. So I think for me, it's just like, don't feel like you only have one option in what you do when you start your scientific career. Keep an open mind. I think it just for me, has been super fascinating to see all these different profiles of how people venture through their life. And just encourage you, have an, you know, go out there and maybe also try different, different things and maybe still with your scientific mind and with your experience. But have, yeah, you know, be curious and stay curious. That was Dr. Simon Engelke, founder and chair of Battery Associates in Dublin, Ireland. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're sure to enjoy Dr. Gangelke's book, video, podcast, and other content recommendations. Look in the episode notes for a URL where you can access these recommendations and register for a free Bringing Chemistry to Life t-shirt. And consider sharing the episode with a curious friend or colleague so they don't miss any of the fun that we have in store for season five. This episode was produced by Sarah Briganti, Matt Ferris, and Matthew Stock.